0: I hope this generation understands, nothing's gonna be handed to you. You have to help yourself and you have to put yourself in positions to go seek that information and go be around some of the great coaches or the great minds. You know, you have to put yourself in that position. I have a lot of people ask me, well, how'd you do it? Or can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? No, you gotta put yourself there.
1: Hi, I'm Dan Kukorian and I'm Patrick Carney and
2: welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome assistant coach for the Las Vegas Aces, Natalie Nikase. Coach Nikase is here today to discuss off-the-court traits and team habits that impact winning, limiting turnovers while playing with pace, and we talk coaching in Japan and beer screens for shooters during the always fun start, sub, or sit. Coaches, one of the best ways to help support what we do is by becoming a member of SG+. We now have coaches and staffs from over 40 different countries who are happy to call members, and they get access to SGTV's over 500 detailed breakdown video library by both ourselves and coaches like Stan Van Gundy, Ryan Pannone, Martin Schiller, Josh Shirts and many more, as well as the weekly deep dive newsletter, access to a private coaching community, and much more. For more information, email us at info at slappingglass.com or visit slappingglass.com to sign up today. Thanks for the support. And now, please enjoy our conversation with coach Natalie Nekaseh. Coach, thank you very much for making the time for us. I you know you're in between games and travel. So this is really fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
2: Absolutely. We wanted to start, you know, off the court. You've been someone you've been at a bunch of different levels. You've seen all different stuff tactically on the court, but we want to start about the things that lead to winning off the court in your mind. And you've been involved in some really good teams and the traits that those teams had that you think most led to winning.
0: I think the biggest trait I mean, not just for players, but also just for coaches as well, like your whole organization is just being selfless. It's kind of cliche, but we understand that basketball is a team sport, but it's everything from habits on offense, on defense, like for defense, like you have to communicate, right? So say I'm guarding someone in the pick and roll. If I'm not calling out where the screen is, if I'm not being selfless and making sure I communicate, then I'm being selfish. It's constant in basketball. You don't know what screen, what action sometimes you can predict, but Things happen so fast in the game that you're constantly on guard to make sure you're selfless. And offensively, it's the same thing. It's like, you see two, move it. You have to be able to make that right pass because obviously someone who has two people on you is not as open as a person without. So it's just the game of basketball. That's why it makes it so fun is because everyone, it's hard to defend because you don't know what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, on offense, you know if you can move that ball and share that ball, you're going to be just as successful. And I think that can go back to Going back to the NBA, but why Golden State was so successful and has been successful. No one thought they were going to win this year. They weren't the team that was supposed to win, but the style that they play is if they see two or if there's an open person, they pass it. And that's one of the hardest things to guard. And so to go back to be selfless is a huge trait. I think that's a must. If you do, if you are selfish, you're really easy to guard. For us, the tactic is always to defend personnel. So if we know someone's what we call thirsty to score, then we're always going to run a second person at them and we're going to bait to see if they're actually going to make that path. It's easier to guard someone who's selfish because you know the ball is going to be in their hands the majority of the time. But someone who's selfless, we have no clue where that ball is going.
1: Coach, what are the conversations that you're having now with the Aces or that you've had in previous organizations to get that point across? Is it culture? Is it conversations? You know, how do you build selfless players?
0: Ah, I think that's innate. It's a way I always believe you're a product of your environment. For me, I'm like my parents, you know, the way they raised me, the way my family is, the standards that my parents hold me to, the morals. Have I ever had someone come in who's selfish and be selfless? No. You could teach them, but at a young age, like you grow up, even like think about it when you're a kid, you think about, okay, everything's supposed to be for me, right? Like I'm supposed to be bad. I'm supposed to be changed. The tension is supposed to be me. And so it's taught. So as you get older and you still don't have that, I think it's going to be very difficult. And for the environment, in terms of what you say, culture, I'm a big believer in your leader has to be the most selfless person. They have to be, because that's what they're going to preach every single day. But she herself or he himself have to elude that. They have to show examples of that every day. And so Becky, she handpicked our whole staff from Tyler, who comes from the NBA, CT, she comes from LSU. And then myself, obviously from the Clippers. It's funny, but we're all very similar. And she knew in terms of her very first staff is that we all had to know our roles, but be a selfless person because that's what she really preaches. you know. And I think the reason actually our team gets along really well is because I think Becky from the top has created a staff that gets along really well. And you guys know, as human beings, yeah. you know when someone's being selfish or not, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: you just, you just know whether it's your family or whether it's your friends in, in person. And as you guys look back, has any of your friends really changed who have been selfish? No, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, You can call them out. Yeah, of course you can hold yeah. them accountability. I think a way you can do it in basketball is introduce them to the bench. If they're just sitting there, you know, jacking up shots that are contested then just sit them and you'll see the dynamic of your offense and your defense shape.
2: And coach, let's say, I mean, in the situation you mentioned right now with the aces, you've been able to, you know, Becky handpick the staff and the players to have that feeling throughout the culture of the selflessness. But I'm sure in your past, you've been on staffs and coached or been on teams as a player. That wasn't the case one through 15, but you still might need those players to win or to go through the season. Mm-hmm. In the situations where you maybe have someone that has some selfishness to them. How would you think about just trying to make sure that they did fit within the group or that the group could at least move forward without being pulled back by that person or people?
0: Well, the professional sports of NBA and wnba it's a business, right? Yeah. So you have to make it work. There's a front office and that's why they do their job and there's a coaching staff. And again, if they're on the same page and they get the correct players, then it would be nice if that actually happens. But yeah, they're going to be selfish players. It's about communication and accountability, like. Becky does a great job of just letting them know right away. She can't stop things enough. If someone takes contested shots, she'll tell them right away in a timeout or she'll you know pull them aside on a dead ball. But you have to do it right away. You have to have those uncomfortable moments with communicating. And to be honest, the player knows that they're being selfish. Like they know. So it's just a matter of whether they're going to get caught or not and whether you know we're going to do something, whether it has to be to the point where we have to pull them and they have to sit. And again, I told you, it's so easy to guard someone that's a thirsty score. It's easy because you know their go-to move because you studied film. And then you know if you make them pass it to someone else, maybe doesn't score as much or is out of rhythm because they've been holding the ball for about 15 seconds, then it's going to be a tough shot. Again, human nature, we're all going to be selfish at some points, but it's about knowing the flow of the game and knowing understanding where it will help us to win. So in a mismatch situation, yeah. That might be a time that you can be a little bit slightly selfish because we're trying to, you know, attack the weakest defender.
2: And you briefly touched on it, but that feeling of wanting to share the ball or communicate or have that team that operates the way we would want—how does that then translate to when you're sitting down as a staff and thinking about, I guess, tactically?
0: As a whole, our philosophy has been to play in space. So, you know, Ty Lue was advocate about it. Like he likes to go small ball in the playoffs, I believe the leagues are trending that way. So we're smaller, like Asia's are five, which you play the four majority of last year. So what we do is we space everyone and we have so much talent on our team that it's very hard to guard us one-on-one. Uh-huh. So our whole thing of after ATOs, after a set, if it breaks down, we just play in space. We space out beyond that three. And then from there, we just share it. If you see two, you kick it. And so what's hard about that is you can't game plan for that because we don't know where that ball is going to go. Right. When we drive, we kick, we swing. That's like the term drive, kick, swing. But we don't know where it's going to end up because we're just going to be moving that ball. Hopefully every time, you know, sometimes they do like the contested. And that's another problem is like when you have players that are so talented and who can make difficult shots. And sometimes they think, you know, the difficult shot is for them. But Becky's an advocate of good to great. We always look for a good shot, but we rather have the great shot.
1: Coach, just an interesting topic your better players who you will give a little bit, maybe leniency to take, like you said, those tougher shots or maybe take some shots that as a coaching staff, you would prefer. Let's yeah, try to get that great shot. So what are you, the conversations that maybe you're having with the better players, especially when you're trying to build this self-assist, but understanding that you have to allow them to be their individual because it's what maybe drives your team the most in winning?
0: Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> yes. No, no.
1: That's fine, yeah.
0: You know, I mean at the end of the day, I mean, you can actually kind of made my point is that you can have a little bit of activist selfishness a little bit like because you want that person to go to your strengths. But again, if they see two players, then you have to pass it because no matter what, if there's two players on you and someone's wide open and you're a professional, you got to pass it regardless of where you are of the ranking or it doesn't matter. An open shot is way better than a contested shot. And that's something that We could tell that hasn't always been the case with this team. Again, because it goes back to how talented they are and what they've been able to get away with. But at the end of the day, in playoffs, when it becomes more physical, it becomes more aggressive, the teams hold, the teams grab, then we have to get that ball moving. And so to me and what Becky has preached, we always have to play the right way. Doesn't matter who's on the floor. It doesn't matter. It's the 10th player up, you know, on the floor. Like if she has an open shot, you got to give it to her. And we're going to live with that. You know, and Becky is really great at giving confidence. And I think that's what I think the players love about her is she will never pull anyone for taking a wide open shot. Never.
2: Sort of another, you know, testament of great teams or players or coaches is the ability to bounce back from difficult times, whether it be a loss or injuries or things like that. What have you learned and what are you seeing now from your past and where you're at with the aces as far as how teams bounce back, how players bounce back to create the ability to keep moving forward through tough seasons or tough times?
0: Well, especially with our hot start, you know, this year is just understanding how, especially when you're on top, you know, like nobody wants to see you succeed, right? And everyone's out for you. So we would say our target at the beginning of the season was like this big, and our target got this big, and our target got this big, right? The higher, and higher we were. And so for us, it's about having championship and building championship habits every single day, no matter who we're playing. If it's the 12 teams compared to a second place team. We have to continue to build championship habits. And Becky always says, we're playing ourselves. We're not here playing, you know, so and so. Like every day we're trying to get better. And I think that is probably one of the hardest things, especially when you're on top, is to just stay very disciplined.
2: With a team that's playing really well and with the, you know, a great coaching staff you have, what does healthy goal setting look like? You mentioned having a target on your back early and teams are coming after you. But what are things that you talk about is in the way of goals Obviously, everybody wants to win a championship, but I guess more like midseason into later in the season goals for you know a team like your guys have right now.
0: I think because it's our first year going in as a staff and for the players to understand Becky and what she wants, she's held them to so many expectations with our new philosophy, offensively, and trust me, I mean, these players are learning NBA, not to say it's better or worse, but they're learning a whole new terminology. So I think with that on top of her ATOs and all her special plays, like we don't really talk about goals other than we have to get better every day. Like we don't throw out numbers. If we see something like at the beginning, we used to have like 16 or 18 turnovers. Okay. We'd write that number up on the board because um, you can't win with like losing that many possessions. Those are things we talk about. But that's what's also great about Becky is just understanding like we're not going to win every game. We're just not, we're not going to have it every game. We're not going to shoot 50% or 40% from free, which we were doing at the beginning. Now, teams are catching up. Now, teams are game signing for us and we're getting fatigued. So, with all that, it has nothing to do with like goals. Goals is we want to win a championship. And I think that's enough that needs to be said. Whether it's game by game, it's about us getting better. And when we watch film after the game, they'll see if whether we progress or we digress. Right. And she'll call them out. And all the assistant coaches will call out all their players. And I think it's just that it's just coming in we got to get better every single day. We didn't win it last year, right? We failed last year. They were the number one team going into the playoff and they didn't win. So we obviously need to be gaining more experience and trying to put ourselves in that position of being in the finals, not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed, you know? So that's what more of our conversations, it's not really game to game goal. It's just progressing, getting better, playing the right way.
1: Coach, if I can take just a quick detour only because I know it's on the minds of probably every coach every season is, and you mentioned it, you had high turnovers to start the season. How did you guys shore up your turnovers?
0: (laughs) Yelling helps. No, just kidding. (laughs) Well, just slowing down. You got to show film. It's always about how we can win, how we could secure more possessions or be better defensively. And with the turnovers, a lot of it was just being too excited or sometimes just being too kind of flashy, I guess. Because they're so talented and they're so skilled, we wanted to make, you know, the highlight play. Screw the highlight. Like, no one cares about highlights. Like, if they care about highlights, then that's a huge problem for us. And so, again, being more secure with the ball, because they get into themselves. Like, they see the cameras and they see, you know, like, they want to make sports. I mean, shoot, they do make sports centers, so they want to do that, too. But it's about bringing them down to earth and understanding what the goal is. But, again, calling them out. Now, are these players trying to do this on purpose? No. And that's what something I learned from T. Lou is like, you don't need to show every turnover. You don't need to show every mistake because I would sit there like individually, like Becky will be like, we'll hit her individually. We don't need a blaster in front of everyone. Like, what's the point? So when I watch film with some of the guards, they already know, right? They already memorize. They know where their turnovers are and they already start talking like, "Um, but I said, I go, did you try to do this on purpose? They're like, no. And then I'm like, then don't do it again. I said, and that's it. Then don't do it again. Understand you're either probably going too fast you're trying to get yourself off by going to the rim, right? And then you got caught and then you tried to dish it. Normally it comes from like a selfish, right? Like it wasn't thinking about hitting the open person because anytime you hit the open person, it's a simple path. You see another defender coming at you, just pass it. Usually the ones that are turnovers is when they just try to like the perfect pocket pass or they want to just split the defense. Like we don't need that.
2: And coach, you are one of the fastest or I think maybe the fastest or best-paced team in the league as far as your possessions per game. So early in the season, when you're playing that fast and you have all those turnovers, you still want to play fast, obviously. And as we're recording this, I think you guys still are playing at the highest pace in the league. How did you balance that of, we still want to play fast, but you got to slow down in your decision-making, teaching them that way. You just spoke about film, but was there any other teaching points to both play fast and limit turnovers?
0: Just, again, it sounds so simple but keeping it simple (laughs) just make the advance pass another rule is like who's ever in front of you pass it pass it because the pass is always faster than the dribble so pass it so then the defense is going to shift some way they're going to have to shift something so if they all shift one way and usually she loves like the cross court or the skip pass now they got to shift back over it now you're playing off of rotations and you're playing off of closeout again being selfless and trying to guard someone who passes is so difficult but someone who's thirsty they're not gonna pass it <laughs> like you just have to stay in front of them and like and contest them you know we're not asking you to block shots but just contest them make it difficult for them but if they don't pass it it's so much easier to guard
2: we're excited to partner with one of our favorite new analytics platforms hoopsalytics a high-powered affordable and easy to use video and analytics system for coaches of all levels at a fraction of the price of some of the other platforms available. Unlike other systems, Hoopsalytics lets you create fully customizable events and sets and analyzes them for you. Through video link stats, interactive shot charts, and other tools. Zero programming is required. For a free trial and to receive a 25% discount on the product, visit Hoopsalytics.com glass. That's hoopsalytics.com slash glass. And now back to our conversation. Coach, this has been awesome so far. Thank you for all your thoughts. We want to transition to a segment that we call Start, Sub, or Sit. And so we'll give you three different basketball topics, ask you to start one, sub one, sit one. We'll have just a quick, fun little discussion from there. So, Coach, this first one has to do with coaching growth for you personally. And You've had a bunch of different stops in your career as a coach. And so we're going to ask you, I know this will be a tough question to answer, but start, sub, or sit, these three different coaching stops that you've had in your past, the start being maybe the one that was the most impactful for where you are now. So start, sub, or sit, your time in Germany, coaching in uh, the BBL there in Germany, your coaching stint in Japan, or your coaching stint in the G League.
0: Oh, wow. They're all so impactful. The first one that's probably the most impactful was Japan. I think the reason why was because that was my first experience coaching men, which was not planned. You know, I just went over there and had a friend, and he invited me to practice. Long story short, I ended up being the head coach in my second year. And going into it, I was like, what, 20? I was young. And going into a season thinking I'm going to be an assistant coach and then changing, transitioning to be a head coach, I'm just going to be honest, I wasn't prepared. And that was the last time I will ever not be prepared to be able to take that next seat just because like, you just never know. I would have never thought that was going to happen to me. And luckily I had great mentors that I Skyped when I was overseas every single day. Hey, what do I do? So lucky that I had really great mentors to coach me through that. And on top of that, being a woman in Japan, this is just for me culturally, what I've learned after the fact of the season, because the season was going by so fast was not a lot of women are put in authority figures in Japan. It's like, I mean, if to be very blunt, it was like, if you're a man, you're up here. And if you're a woman, you're down here. And so to be in a position where, again, I didn't really understand, well, I didn't. I didn't know Japanese. I had a translator. But I guess around the league, that a ton of women would come to our games. And after they would come and they would say nice things, they would give me gifts, but I did had no idea. It was because they couldn't believe a woman was being a head coach in a men's league. And so when I look back, again, in the moment, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to coach and survive, really. But when I look back and I see like pictures of what I was doing, I was like, wow, little girls and young women were just kept saying thank you. And I was like, why do you keep saying thank you to me? Like, we just lost. (laughs) They were just, you know, saying that you're doing something that we've never seen before. And so I say, that's my start. My sub? Oh, gosh, it's hard. I guess it would be the G League. Because that was going from video to, you know, straight, like sitting on the bench, being in coaches meetings, helping with in-game adjustments. Like that was just such a huge leap in terms of how my responsibilities changed quickly. But again, I actually was assistant with Casey Hill and his dad was, so there was a connection there. His dad was Bob Hill when we were in Japan. So there was that connection, right? Like I kind of had a very similar being an assistant coach for both of them was really great. But again, it was a position where you would see how the players were going to react. This time I have a voice. And to be honest, players are great. That's all they care about. Can you help me? Can you help me get better? That's all they care about. And what's special about the G League compared to the NBA is you spend so much more time with your players. And so you really get to dive in and get to know them and build that trust a lot quicker because we're around each other at airports, we're around each other in the hotel. And so I created so many close, genuine relationships quickly in the G League compared to the NBA just because of the amount of time spent. So I think they not only impacted me and hopefully I impacted them, but it was just something that I will never forget. And then Germany obviously would be the third, just because I think because it's so far, it's the this yeah. experience I remember. Um, yeah. And it was just fun. Honestly, Germany was great. Like, you know, Patrick. like it's such a great country where you celebrate everything. Yeah. <laughs> like wins or losses, like they wanted to drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> And so it was such a great experience to learn their culture and how they just wanted to celebrate life. They just, I'm very focused. like I'm more like Japanese culture, like work, 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 focus, focus, focus. But to me in Germany, win or lose, we're drinking beer and we're having fun and we're just enjoying the experience.
2: Well, coach, great answers and really nice details on all the experiences. And obviously this is a pretty difficult question to ask you. You could probably start all these in certain instances, but... I just wanted to ask, I guess, not necessarily in any specific stop, but was there anything in all your answers that maybe shifted the way you thought about coaching in general? That you know, you went into a season or to a job thinking that this is how I want to be, this is who I am as a coach. And at the end of the experience, you had changed a little bit.
0: Yeah, I always imagined myself because I had really hard coaches when I was younger, like just my way or the highway type coaches. And I learned better that way. I learned better at very want honest direction. But I've learned like a lot of people don't like to respond to just honest, in your face, threat typing. They just don't. And so I've learned it's okay to reel it down a little bit. It's okay just to have an inside voice or a normal voice. You don't have to yell. And it's okay to ask to see how they're doing. A lot of that, I've really changed a lot, especially during the COVID experience where I had to so I had Terrence Mann when I was in, with Clippers. And I didn't go to the bubble right away. I was supposed to go if we made the playoffs. We ended short. And so everything I did with Terrence was through Zoom. So we talked every day and it was a lot. So bless his heart. Like we watched film because I would chop the film from practice and then they would send it to us. And then we would watch film every day. And this is kind of it's a little personal, but I'm sure he'll be okay with me sharing. But I was also talking to our team, kind of psychiatrist, but more like someone who Understood coaching on a different level, and he had a really close friend pass away while he was in the bubble. And yeah. I was like, great. like, how am I going to handle this? How do I approach this? I'm not physically with him, so I and when I turn on the screen, I don't know what's about to happen. You know, I don't know if he's going to be sad. I couldn't get a feel through text like how he was. And so she advised me going back to you know Japanese culture. I'm like, I'm focused, Okay, work, work, work. And then you'll get the results. But she advised me that sometimes it's okay to put the film down. Sometimes it's okay to just say, hey, like, let me check in. Let's see how you are. And I did. So I started our conversation with first, I always ask, like, how are you feeling? How'd you sleep? I could see it in his face. Like, it was super obvious. And I said, look, I go T. I I go, we don't have to watch film today. And his face was like, what? <laughs> like, are you serious? You know? I'm like, no, we don't have to watch film today. I go, I just want to check in to see like, how you are, how you doing. You know, I understand what's going on. I'm here if you want to just talk about it. And he was stunned. He was shocked because he knows how passionate I am about work. And he's very similar too. So that's why me and him got along really well is because we wanted to outwork everyone. And so he sat for a minute and he kind of like looked down and I think he probably wasn't ready maybe to say something but he knew besides the basketball player that i cared about him more as a human being so he said it's okay let's roll through the film we went through it and the next day i instantly felt a lot closer to him because he understood she don't care that i could you know pass you know when i drive drive a kick or make a three like she doesn't care she cares about how i'm feeling or how i'm doing and so stuff like that to me completely has changed me as a coach. I look at these players now as like part of my family. I treat them as my family every day. I check in and some of them like are so funny because they're so serious sometimes. Like, I'm not going to say who it is because you're going to die laughing, yeah. but she'll just be like, why do you ask that? Like, why, why do you ask? Are you okay? Like, of course I'm okay. Like, like they get really like defensive and they're just like, well, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine, you know, but I've also been called like, you're so nice coach. Like you're so, which is, not who I was before. Because that's how I learned. My dad was strict. My coaches were very hard like, when I was young. And I thought I was going to be like that. I thought that's what worked. But no, you have to engage with them. You have to go through the struggles, go through the highs and lows. And they become got my family.
2: Great answer. Thank you for sharing. That was
1: great. Yeah, appreciate uh, that. Okay, coach. Our next start, sub, sit for you has to do with actions to get a shooter open. So three actions we're going to give you. Start, sub, sit. Putting the shooter in like that flex screen down screen, they set the flex screen and come off the down screen, or changing it to they set a rip screen, or putting them in kind of that the shake, the single side with a, a veer screen, the roller running into a screen for the shooter.
0: I guess, well, who who gets the shot?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's say you're trying to at least create the advantage for the shooter. To, like, so who on my
0: team? Who on my team? Your I guess. best
1: shooter. Let's say your best your shooter. Best shooter. Yeah.
0: yeah. Best, who do you guys think my best shooter is? <laughs>
2: Young or Plum?
0: Plum. Okay. Plum. Yeah. For Plum, I mean, the one that I like the most for Plum would be the roll into the pin. That's the one you're talking about, right? Like, yes. the big rolls yeah, yeah. yeah, like T. Lou did that. Doc always did that because it disguises, it completely confuses like Plum's de- defender. Like, you don't know, are they just going to stand there? Are they going to, when they get hit by the screen because they're looking at either the ball or the roller, I think that's one of the harder ones to guard. So I'd start with that for Plum. Rip screens would be my second because not a lot of people practice defending rip screens. And so I think it's really challenging, especially to do it with the five. Like, are you going to switch that with the five? And if so, well, then now you got a mismatch. We do both actions like per plum with that. And then the third would be the flex action. We would do that with a bigger guard be- like Jackie, because then if you could send us like a plum to set the screen and then Jackie can get a smaller player on her, that's what we'd rather have. And then Obviously, if Jackie's coming off that scoring, 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 now both of them are going to go to Jackie and now Plum should be wide open for the
1: pin down. My follow-up is with that roll the pin action. What are you telling, let's say the point guard, maybe the timing? I mean, you always want them to be aggressive, but if they get too deep, does that pass become too hard? Is it more of a choreographed thing where, hey, just kind of take it out wide and allow the roller to get to that pin so you have the angle for the shooter?
0: It kind of all depends to like the flow of the game. Like, if this is just right off the bat. Then, mostly they're going to be off of our body. Just instinctually, the defender is probably going to be off. And so, you might just have to pull it a little bit to make sure you're in the right position to make that pass because now you got to pull it back. You got to at least pivot your whole body to make that pass. Right. So, the first time that you can probably get away with it, but then the second or third time, like, obviously the defense is just going to get tighter and tighter on plunk. So, if that's the case, then either the driver, then it's just going to open up for Chelsea coming off the slip. So it all just depends on where the, like, so for us, nothing's like scripted. And Becky always says that, like, play it. Just, I'm going to draw this up for you, but like, you got to see what's open, you know? So every single time we run something, like we never want them to be robotic and say, you have to pass it to Plum or whatever's open. And again, that goes back to what she always says. I am never going to yell at you if you shoot an open shot. If your players hear that, they will build confidence for everything because they will not be tight on like, I better throw it to Plum this time. I better throw it to Plum. Like, that's not how we set our philosophy in terms of our offense, you know? And then I also love, like, understanding, like, the size of your point guard. Your point guard, like, Chelsea's tall, right? She could make that getting it a little bit deeper. But Becky's rule is, like, Plum, you're, like, our height, So, like, anything from, like, the free throw, once you pass the free throw line, everything's going to be a lot harder for you to pass. So the deeper she gets inside that paint, then the bigger everyone gets around her. Now, if you're Chris Paul, you can make those passes. <laughs> I <didn't laughs> Sure, yeah. The plum have to make her decisions above the free throw line. Okay. She has to. If not, then we tell her to gnash it and then go all the way through and collapse the defense. But she rarely makes passes like free throw line to the rim.
2: Coach, you mentioned at the beginning of this, just that the flex to pin action you would like for a bigger guard could you just maybe elaborate? That was an interesting point of why you would prefer that action for a bigger guard.
0: Well, for Jackie, she's usually bigger and stronger and she's more athletic. So if any time, if we pass it to the elbow and then Plum cuts through and sets that flex screen, I mean, if they don't switch and Plum sets a good screen, it should be wide open. Right. Right. But ideally, you want your bigger guard to go through because if they do happen to switch and they still like have that, you know, whether it's a bump or aggressive bump or here it comes the help, like they're still big enough to get it over, you know? Like, well, we don't want Plum going in there and sure. <laughs> like, like get bumped and try to shoot. Like, I mean, just think about it as like a bigger guard or a post player. Like you want your bigger guards to be inside and scoring smaller guards. Like Chelsea's, great at using her speed at the rim, but Jackie's really good at using her body because she's more physical and she knows how to create space. Chelsea does the same thing. We'll put Chelsea in that flex action too. Because Chelsea knows how to hold them. And be patient. And then once she creates that separation, now she floats back because she can't jump like Jackie. Jackie can jump and she could bump. Sure. She's the start. Chelsea's <laughs> the, um, Kelsey's the Kelsey's the sit. There
2: you go. That, okay. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Good stuff. Coach, this last start subset has to do with building a defense around a great shot blocker. And I know that you guys do have you know one of the top shot blockers in the league. And so these are maybe weak spots or things that as a staff, you have to think about when you have such a great shot blocker that could be like secondary effects of having someone be a great shot blocker that you need to think about as a staff. So start, sub, sit, these secondary potential pain points of having a shot blocker, the offensive rebounding, it could open up if they're potentially looking to block a lot of shots, foul trouble for the shot blocker, or maybe the pick and roll coverage that it might. Force you to play or lead you to playing because you want to keep them closer to the rim to block shots. So start, sub, or sit those three potential weak spots with having a great shot blocker.
0: So I have a question. Please. Yeah. Are you talking about Asia?
2: Yes. Yeah, so right now she's second in the league in blocked per game.
0: No way. No <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. So she's second in the league in block shot.
2: She's at 2.2 right now.
0: Okay. It's funny because we don't think about Asia as a rim protector. Okay. Perfect. Like that's. No one has said that. Like, it's it's funny. But I guess since she's playing the five now and she's showing more athleticism and more toughness that it just kind of is happening on its own naturally. But to game plan it, I mean, for us versus other teams, like I said before, we concept on, like, who's the best scorers and how are we are going to shut them down? So mm-hmm. that does not change, like, okay, now she's going to be in a drop. No, we're so focused on who the best score is, not what's going to happen if it does happen that it gets to the rim. We don't know if it's going to get to the rim. We hope not because we don't want paint points anyway. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's more tactical in that way. So so just talking about in terms of fouls, we've learned like a lot of our the top three scorers, like on each WNBA team, they get fouled a lot. Diana, she goes to the free throw line, I think like six, seven times, Skylar, eight, nine. So our goal as a team is don't foul them at the rim. Make them finish. You know, If you're there and you're vertical and you're there in the right position, then make them finish over length. And then we live with that. But we are not giving you a foul on us and then and you of the free throw line and the clock stop. So that's just like our philosophy. And then offensive rebounding, like get the rebound. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are all things that we should be preventing from just our base defense. Our base defense is crashing. We're already small. We're always a smaller team. So our guards have to come in and crash with our big. They can't just leak out or float around so for us we always have to give more effort or we're not going to win because we're smaller sure so sorry i don't have a stop start uh some, stop. no it's okay and and oh, you yes.
2: said, said some great stuff and you did kind of lead to something interesting because right now statistically you're the number one defensive rebounding team in the league and you just mentioned about being smaller so teaching points on you just kind of mentioned crashing the boards but you going in every night knowing you're the smaller team but you guys to this point in the season have been a great defensive rebounding team, how do you talk to the team about that?
0: It's the only way we're gonna win. Yeah. Besides everything that we prepare for on both ends, but if we don't get more possessions, then we're not gonna win. And we don't get stops. Because if we just gift bigger teams to score in the paint, then they're always going to beat us. Because we can't do anything off of the offensive rebound because we're too small. So we have no choice. Like we understand like that is our main goal going into every and then plus we get to run. And that's what sure. they really want to do. They want to <laughs> run and score transition threes or get to the rim. So we understand if we're not gritty and we don't get the rebounds, it's that basic for us. You know, we have to be the tougher team and we have to out rebound them if we want to win. And to go back, even with like the G league, we struggled at times just rebounding because they're leaking out. Cause they're just getting too excited to get down on the floor. So what we did, which I liked is we individually counted who missed rebounds. So we just call it miss rebounds. Like they just, They either stood there or they leaked out. And then so after that, we clipped all their clips and then we showed them. Because a lot of them say like, oh, yeah, I was trying, I was trying, coach. No, you were not. And then we'll show them, you know, and then they're like, oh, my, like, I thought I was trying. Like some of our like most hustle, like tough players think that I'm like, you didn't even go in the paint. They'll just hang out, you know, right by because they want to just take off for three. So, again, accountability, right? Showing them right away, right off the game. You've missed six blockouts. You can't do that.
1: Coach, I'd like to just follow up, go back. You mentioned it earlier in the pod and then you just brought it up again about game planning to stop the best scorer, the best player. My question is, how do you guys think about then mixing your coverages to defend the best player?
0: You always want to keep them off guard. You always want to keep them guessing. These are like phrases I can hear Doc, I can hear T. Lou saying all the time. You never want to give somebody a steady diet because great players know how to beat all different type of coaches. They know how to beat a blitz. They know how to beat a denial. They know how to beat just being up into your space. So it's not only just scheming for that, but the timing of everything to catch them off guard. If you constantly show them blitz after blitz after blitz, of course they're going to get, you know, they're going to break it. And so it's again, communicating to your team beforehand. This is what you have to be ready for. And then in the game, we've already gone through all these defensive schemes. And then coach, she just has to be ready to fire, you know, when the timing of it is right. We always stay the course. I would say that too. Like we always just play the odds. We run with the numbers on that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If they beat us, they beat us, but we got to make sure we at least see if that game plan is going to follow suit.
1: With the timing and the communication piece, is it more so when you'll mix up the coverage, maybe coming off a dead ball or out of a timeout? Or how much of it is maybe preemptive? Like, you know, it's working, but we want to like keep her guessing. So let's go ahead and try it here. Change our coverage.
0: It's honestly just kind of like being risky. Like yeah. gambling a little bit, you know, you don't know, but either does she. So,
1: <laughs> right,
0: you know, is yeah. there, so what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no script. Yeah, we have an overall game plan of what I was talking about. But like in terms of when we're going to trigger things, like if she's hot and we don't want to call timeout, like obviously we're going to tell the players, take it an initiative on yourself and just change it. And Chelsea Gray, she's like Chris Paul, like she has a great mind. So she'll just change it on her own. And so that's why it was really vital that her and Becky got on the same page early. So in the games, they figured out how to change the defense. So now we don't even have to call timeout. Like Chelsea will do it on her own. You know, and then just huddle everybody up or something like that. But the best thing is probably the gauges to see that there's frustration into the scorer's eyes or the frustration in their body language. And once you see the body language, then you know you got in their head. I don't know. Unless you come to like a game and then you sit right next to Becky, then you could see like when we do it. But that's too much it. Be- Becky will fire.
2: Let us know. We'll be there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Becky will fire me.
2: <laughs> Coach, that was great. You're off the start, super, sit hot seat. Thanks for playing that game, that segment with us. That was a lot of fun. We've got one more question for you to end the show. Before we do, thanks for your time. Like I said, in the middle of your season, this was really fun. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Coach.
0: Oh, thank you guys. I loved it. I loved all the questions and all the games. That was really fun. Thank you.
2: We appreciate it. Coach, our last question that we ask all the guests is, what's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach?
0: I could tell you my best and then I can finish with my worst. Uh, how about that?
1: Sure. <laughs> Love it. Yeah.
0: I think my best has been volunteering, working for free. It's been the best way I could learn more than what I have planned for, whether it's my job or anything. The more I've, I've volunteered and just say like, hey, I'll work for free, I'll rebound for free. I will." sit and take notes for you for free. I'll just sit and watch. Like, Can I do that? I've seriously gotten so much more information and people that were willing to take me under their wing because I was willing to do it like on my spare time and for free. I think that's the biggest thing that young people who want to get in this industry, they have to learn. We all started being in a lower position. For me, it was like a video intern position. But on top of that, I did so many things for free that I created a lot of relationships that way too. I would give, you know, rides to the airport for free. I take coaches, you know, I would do like coffee just anything to where I was able to get a minute of their busy schedule, you know, just a minute to where I can ask a question and build relationships and then understand how passionate and hungry I am for knowledge. And no one turns down like free work either. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, nobody does. And so I hope like this generation understands nothing's going to be handed to you. Nobody really wants to help you. You have to help yourself and you have to put yourself in positions to go seek that information and go be around some of the great coaches or the great minds. You know, you have to put yourself in that position. I have a lot of people ask me, well, how'd you do it? Or can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? No, you got to put yourself there. You know, I volunteered. The first thing I did, I think, was with Summer League. I volunteered. It's funny that we go back, but I volunteered to work for the Spurs summer league before I had a job with the Clippers. So mm-hmm. I was staying on some trainer's living room in summer league, just sleeping there. I drove myself there because I lived in LA. So I drove to Vegas. They just said you can sit in practice. That's all I wanted was to be able to sit in practice. So when I sat in the first practice, there's a seat right next to me. I'm like, why is there a seat right here? Right? Like I'm just just sitting there, like, oh my god, I'm about to watch the Spurs, you know, summer league practice. Pop sits right next to me, and I'm like. You got to be kidding. And I'm like, I got to ask Pop a question. All I asked him was, What do you look for for power forwards? And of course, Tim Duncan was, you know, and so he went on for like a half an hour about Tim Duncan. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And that's when I knew I'm like, guys, this guy's knowledge was off the charts. And I'm like, I got to be here. You know, I want to be here. And then one time I showed up early for the second practice and RC Buford was shooting jumpers. And then I, you know, had a conversation with him and got some shots up. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, this is just gold. So, I put myself in positions to do it, you know? So if you really want to be in this league, especially at the highest level, you got to do things that no one else is telling you to do. Like, you got to go out of your comfort zone and you got to start volunteering and doing things that not a lot of people would do. That's how I got in. You know, that's how I think the biggest thing that I did when I was young. Now, as I got older and as you learn and you build these relationships, now you just become obsessed, right? Like 10 years in the NBA, especially under Lawrence Frank, like one of the hardest workers in the league. I mean, we got up at 4.30 in the morning and you know, had to be there in the office during video and didn't leave till like 11 o'clock at night. So that was crazy. So with that type of sacrifice and time spent in the NDA and the facilities at the arenas, I think my worst investment looking at it now was being away from my family because of that. Now, would I have changed it? I don't know. But last year, my dad passed away and I was still constantly working. And now looking at it, it's like life is so much more than, I'm sorry, like other than just the NBA and basketball. Family overall is the biggest thing. So as much as I sacrificed, my dad was the same way. My dad sacrificed, he worked all the time. We did see each other obviously, but he never took vacations, never did everything. That's how I was, I was just like him. But looking back, I wish I would have spent more time with my family, especially when I had chances. Because when I did have chances, what I do? I go volunteer. I volunteered for every summer camp. I volunteered for any basketball that was going on. The Drew League, I'd go watch the Drew League. I'd just sit there and watch Drew League games over and over again. Like, I would do anything and everything to be in a gym. But as I look back, I wish I spent more time with my family.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, Slapping Glass Plus, and much more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass. Oh, do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like Slapping Backboard. <laughs> slapping Glass. <laughs> slapping Glass. That's kind of funny. I like That's that. All
1: <laughs> slapping Glass.